Hey, what's good, beautiful people? Thank you for checking out the Weekly Words Extended Podcast, where we give you words to live by. I am your host, Robert Timmons, and today I am joined by special guest, Mr. Kevin Burns Jr. Kevin, how you living, man? I'm living pretty good, man. Can't complain. <laughs> That's what's up. That's what's up. I'll give Kevin an opportunity to introduce himself in a second, but uh, for those of you who might be joining us for the first time, want to let you know what Weekly Words Extended Podcast is. And here, this is a podcast where we elaborate on uh, the web series Weekly Words on YouTube and Instagram TV to further the conversation about how we can live life together in a community, how we can stay encouraged, inspired, and ultimately find our purpose and live that out and have a life full of fulfillment and not just uh, what society says, but what God says and what he has for us as individuals. Today, I am particularly excited because it is April, which means it is National Poetry Month. So all throughout this month, we have been diving into various poems, specifically two poems that I wrote within my book, Behind the Smile. And we're going to talk about those some more here. If you want to hear the full poems and the initial conversation, definitely check out Check them out on Weekly Words. You can find those, again, on YouTube and Instagram TV. And then today, we're also going to uh, talk more about those poems and some additional poems. Uh, Kevin here is also also a poet, and so that's why he is here on today's episode. So I'm thoroughly excited, and we're going to jump right in. So, uh, Kevin, before we start talking about specific poems and, and our interpretation of those and how we can use those as inspiration, let's hear a little bit more about you, you know, what made you start writing? When did you start writing? And, and what does poetry look like in your life? Okay. My name is Kevin Burns, as you already stated. I'm from Houston, Texas, born and raised, right? Born in Third Ward, grew up on the Southwest side. I'm actually a student right now, so I go to law school. I grew up in the church. My father was a minister. So my first introduction to probably a lot of poetry was in the Psalms. You know, just kind of that, that biblical poetry and then reading through Proverbs and kind of seeing those metaphors, because that's when my father told me to start. My first poem I ever really read was If by Richard Kipling, because that's what my dad gave me. So just kind of this poem about being a man. And then from there, it probably was, I dove straight into a lot of hip hop. So <laughs> I listened to a lot of hip hop, listened to a lot of rap. And that kind of formulated my mind with poetry and so much so that I did a thesis paper in, in my 11th grade or 12th grade, I think, about Thug's Mansion. And when I saw that, my, prof my professor or my teacher really um, liked it and was able to just kind of see what I was seeing in Tupac and what he was stating. Then I kind of just took a liking to it. But poetry went dormant for a while for me outside of just being passive. I wrote here and there when I went to undergrad and it, and then it was like most people, when you go through like this extreme amount of emotional, emotion surge, right? Mm -hmm. So I, you know, dealing with, you know, feelings for a woman or a lady, dealing with the passing of people, dealing with just so many emotions as you're growing up being a man, sometimes away from your family. I was longing to really express that. And I think we were talking about it before I was like, man, then I just started writing poems and it seemed like I would go to sleep and I would just try to think about how can I uh, figure out all these words that are swirling in my mind? How can I frame this collage that's in my mind? And that's when I really started to write, I think officially. And I wrote this big binder of poetry and oh, I wow. published it. Yeah, I published it because my father said, if you don't do anything with it, you probably won't do anything with it. So I felt convicted and I self-published a book called Heart Who Goes There and it was kind of like my first formal approach to poetry and then from there it evolved um, ups and downs a lot of reluctancy on my part to really engage it but that's how it grew that was the birthplace of the genesis at least for me with poetry Got you. Wow. So it it really sounds like it was it was kind of a, a genuine start, like you meant like you mentioned, starting in in the Bible with just the Psalms and the Proverbs and kind of wisdom and metaphors, and just over time it kind of grew more and more from kind of this soaking in and taking in an infatuation to now you producing right. some of those poetic thoughts as well. 
Absolutely. That's what's up. Okay. And then you mentioned your book, Heart. You said Heart Who Goes There? Yes. So Heart Who Goes There was my first novel approach to poetry. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote that. I also recorded a poetic album called uh, When Words Meet Sounds. Mm -hmm. And so I did that. And so I love the project version of it even though I, I think I love performing more because the, when you do a project it puts it in a frame where a lot of people can get it as far as that medium mm -hmm. that's why I like you know like what you're doing reading your your poems um because performances are just like this snapshot and everybody can't make it there but videos books albums they really benefit society and they might be our archetypes or they might be our just like artifacts rather to the future when mm -hmm. they look back and kind of wonder what was going on. How, how were these people dealing with their emotions? How were they dealing with their God? How did they express themselves? They might actually be relics that people put back together. Mm -hmm. It'll look different than the maybe the Bible, but it will be something that people can feast off of. So. That's kind of, well, that's kind of how I've grown to think about it. When I was younger, I just thought about, man, do I really want to put out this album? Because <laughs> somebody else put out an album, they're better than me. Yeah. This costs this much money, you know. <laughs> that's kind of how I was thinking. Yeah. When I was younger. Yeah. No, I, I definitely feel you. And it, it's it's funny. I think I think we, you know, see eye to eye on some of these things. You're mentioning how it's, you use the term relic and how it's something that's, you know, documented and can be referenced back in the future and stuff. So can you kind of elaborate on that and, and talk about what, what kind of, and you've said it already a little bit, but what kind of value has poetry added to your life? And why do you think it's important to kind of keep that going in, you know, today's world and even to be documented for the future to be able to experience as well? So I think just like music, so music has a way of, entering the soul without permission. Mm. I got that from like a Hillsong movie. It was a quote. And I was like, man, that's a great quote. You know, mm -hmm. wish I would have said it. But I <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but when you speak in poetic language, as an analytical person, I think you're very analytical too. It's a way you can talk formally that really doesn't express how you feel. And especially if you have presented a formal, formal, you know, I guess presentation of yourself and people are used to that, they might not be able to grasp your emotions. They mm -hmm. might not be able to grasp who you really are. But just like a book, you often get the best of someone's thoughts. I think poetry, you can get the best of someone's thoughts and emotions. Mm -hmm. And so it's very important to really understand a man or a woman when you step inside their poetry, because then you really truly see them as they have allowed themselves to be, at least for me, mm -hmm. because I think my poetry breeds itself in vulnerability mm -hmm. because I can speak from a place that when I'm talking with people, my mind is running, mm -hmm. right? So I can't turn my mind off and I'm analytical. But when poetry, I spend so much time thinking sometimes that, oh man, now I can just kind of chip away that wall and get to the emotions. And really present to you how I really feel. And that's what poetry did for me. It allowed me to express myself in a vulnerable way that I wasn't able to just the way I think quickly. Um, so that's for me. I think that's important because as we move forward, art and performance shows a different layer of people. It shows the non-formal side. It shows sometimes us as we really are. And so people get to see that and they get to say, hey, that person's not that really, they're really that much different than me. Or I thought this about them, but now that I can see behind the glass or behind the veil, I really see them for their vulnerable human self. Mm -hmm. And I think art is really a reflection of humanity. That's why so many people can come from so many different walks in life and really embrace it and not feel as offended mm. because they're like, I'm just stepping into someone else's humanity. And so I'm just looking at the creativity of their humanity right now. And so I don't have to have be so formal 
and judge it right away. I can try to understand it first. Mm-hmm. Then I can make my assumptions and judge it and go forward mm-hmm. from there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love that. Yeah. I can definitely relate. Yeah, I'm, I am an analytical person as well. And for me, similar to what you're saying, like poetry has been that expression of my thoughts, my emotions and my feelings and my experiences. And so on one hand, yeah, it, I, I, sometimes I don't feel like I accurately, adequately express myself when I'm just speaking regularly, but whenever I turn it into a poem, I feel that embrace. I remember whenever I was a kid, sometimes my mom would get so upset with us whenever we, we wouldn't like clean up or something. And she would, you know, be yelling like, you know, do this and do, do that and stuff that we were supposed to do. And then it got to a point where she would just be so frustrated from, from telling us all these things that we weren't doing that she would just screamed. And as children, mm-hmm. it, it terrified us. We're like, oh, shoot, we're in trouble now. But for me, in that same kind of vein, it's like poetry is that scream for me. Whenever I've I've tired out or tired out all of my kind of proper articulation, poetry allows me to scream. And sometimes it's a soft scream. Sometimes it's a loud scream. Sometimes it can be abrasive, whatever. But the the wordplay, the metaphors, the the imagery, like those things are symbolism for what my heart is, you know, crying out to say. And right. and it's like, that's how I need to express it. And then on the other hand, it's funny because there's been times when I I thought I understood myself, but then I sit down <laughs> and write a poem and, I'm like, poem and I'm like, oh shoot, I didn't realize that I was still in love with her. Or right. I didn't realize I was still <laughs> angry. It's like, oh shoot, like I, I'm still processing through this. So it's like a two-way street for like expressing expression to other people, but then also like expression and self-awareness for my, for like internally, you know? Right. Absolutely. Um, you just saying that reminded me. So I remember I was writing this poem, initial poem that I think I first connected with in a performance and acting has done a lot of that for me too. I love the acting community as well. And so I had this poem and I was going and it was like a Christian showcase. Hmm. And so I had did a poetry showcase before and I didn't think I did that well. So, you know, in the back of my mind, I was like, never again. Mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. going to do better this time. Mm-hmm. And so it was this Christian showcase and I was looking at my poems and I was thinking, oh, wow, I didn't really do a exegesis of Jeremiah 29 and 11, you know, in this poem or... You know, my poems are not as Christian as I thought they should be. And so I was sending it to the lady and she was like, oh, this this is okay, but it's not really, you know, that Christian. Like, so I was writing, I went back and forth and I said, man, if I'm going to be true about a poem, I'm going to talk about sin and how it makes you feel, Mm -hmm. you know, the shame and and all that you're walking through. And so that I started out to do that and I wrote that poem. And music for me does a lot for me too. And so I was listening to this song by Dinah Washington and it was um, composed by uh, Max Richard. It was called This Bitter Earth, but he did, he composed it, composed on the nature of daylight and they mixed it together for this movie called Shutter Island. Mm. My friend sent it to me because he was an actor. And so I listened to that poem and I think I can't get the lyrics all out, but it was like This Bitter Earth, all oh, the fruit you bear. And if my life is like the dust, that covers the glow of a rose. What good am I? Only heaven knows. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's sin, that's shame. And then the music was beautiful. And so I'm writing and I'm practicing to this. And I would practice it every day. And I would like practice it and I would cry and I would be so emotional. And then when I went to go perform it, long story short, I connected so much in that performance. People thought something was wrong with me. Some people thought something was wrong for me, wrong with me, um, because it was more like a monologue than maybe a poem, mm-hmm. like people used to seeing spoken word done. Mm-hmm. And then another lady was like, oh, that was soul piercing, right? Mm-hmm. And I realized, oh man, this did something for her. But the first time my dad saw it, he thought, where did we go wrong with this child when he was <laughs> growing up? <laughs> so <laughs> I just realized that, oh man, people didn't Maybe people didn't see the, the things that were kind of playing out in my heart sometimes. And it was good for them to see that. But it also made me a little insecure because I thought, man, what are people going to think if they know this is how strongly I feel about this or I wrestle with this, right? That 
vulnerability that I think sometimes people don't see from people uh, can make you insecure. But then I felt so alive mm. and real at that moment. And I was like, I'm not leaving the faith. You know, I know Christ has died for me and I fully embrace, you know, the grace and what happened on the cross. But I was like, hey, this is how, you know, I felt like when I was going through those periods of sin or struggle, you know, I did not feel good. You know, mm -hmm. maybe if somebody else knows that this is how I look now, but I have felt like this, then they might be like, oh, there's some hope. And where is his hope? And what is bringing them to that hope? And so that's when I kind of started to say, man, I'm going to be vulnerable when I write because this is cathartic for me, but this is also cathartic for somebody else and it's helping them out. Yeah, that's, that's dope. And it's actually really cool to hear um, sorry, to hear you uh, talk about that where people were kind of challenging you on what you were writing and, you know, your form of expression. And that whole thing, you know, just kind of ties into the uh, first poem that I wanted to talk about called Armor. And I'll, I'll kind of give a recap of what it is and we can kind of tie that into what you were just talking about. So in this poem, this, the speaker is talking about how his armor is the, is the clothes that he puts on and the clothes that he puts on is actually hiding his insecurities and his doubts. And he's thinking to himself, Hey, if I can look good on the outside, people will think that I'm also good on the inside. And in this poem, he's kind of analyzing saying, Oh shoot, like my clothes are my armor. And what if people are just infatuated with my armor, but not really me. And he ends the poem talking about if I, if someone, people had to choose between my clothes and me, would they pick me or, or would they just pick my clothes, my persona? And I think that is like a very figurative idea of like, we put up these walls naturally to have armor around us. So we don't let people in and you know, your armor could be your clothes. It could be your talents. It could be your poems and what you're saying in your poem, similar to what you were talking about, Kevin, you know, it could be your circumstances, the positive ones. It could be your job or your money, anything that we have an abundance of, or we think we meet the standard that could be our armor. And I, and I, I love the question in the poem where it's like, you know, what people like this armor or what they like me. And, uh, you know, to your point, Kevin, I think we have to, you know, reach this point of maturity where we're okay with our insecurities and we can take that armor off and be our natural selves. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, Absolutely. so, um, and I, I don't know if you want to comment on the poem or, or tie it back to your story, but like, do you like, what was that difficult for you to do in what you were just saying? Or was it like a process or what? It was a process. I think it's always difficult when you're doing the soul work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you're literally upheaving weeds that have been planted in you for so long. Mm -hmm. And now you're having to basically deny yourself. And sometimes those walls that you have put up really do protect those tender points in you. Right? It's almost like if you have an injury and you're wearing that brace, it's stabilizing you. And it's keep and it's allowing you to keep going forward and kind of perform at a level that may be a little bit slightly greater than you could perform if you took that brace off. Mm -hmm. And now you're taking that brace off and then you're realizing, like you stated, oh man, I haven't forgiven that person. Oh man, I still love her. Oh, oh man. And now you have to ask yourself, what do I do with this? Mm -hmm. You know, and for and so that was hard. You, that, that's hard. I think that's still hard. Yeah. Um, it's, it's looking in the mirror. I mean, it's looking in the mirror, poetic-wise, from words. And then, as I started to write, and, you know, sometimes people say, can you write about this topic? Then I started to look in the mirror, and I started to look in the mirror and look at other people. Um, like, maybe, maybe the topic is about the three Hebrew boys, or I remember we raised money for Elijah's Rising, and we were doing, and so, you know, that's a sex trafficking thing, and we're raising money for sex trafficking, and we, everybody has written poems from different perspectives, and nobody has written a po perspective from a pimp. Hmm. 
And so nobody wants to touch that with a 10-foot pole, right, when you're at a, raising money for sex trafficking, right? That is the nemesis. And so I was like, man, I really don't want to, I mean, I know how I'm supposed to feel about the pimp. I'm supposed to hate him, you know, hate what he's doing. But what caused this man to be a pimp? Like he, when he was born as a baby, he didn't, you know, they didn't say, and you shall be the pimp, right? And so as I kind of went through it, I wrote a poem, but I wrote it from, I was like, the only way that you could write this poem and the only way that this person could even kind of like in a weird way, not justify it, but kind of come to this point is if this person had experienced being oppressed or pimped himself in some type of way. Mm-hmm. Hurt you, people, hurt people. Hurt people, hurt people. How do you justify it, right? And so I wrote the poem from that perspective. It was a very emotional performance. And it, and it's kind of crazy because in the middle of the poem, I literally said some lines that weren't in there. So I said like two times, I hate this poem. I really don't like this poem. And mm. people thought it was part of the performance. So they were like, oh, that was my favorite part. <laughs> you know, it's so vulnerable and true. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I didn't like how it felt. Because mm. I felt vulnerable. And I felt like I am literally hurting people the same way I've been hurt. Mm. But I don't know where freedom is at. Yeah. I don't know how to get out. And so when I did that poem, the reactions that like one lady ran up to me and she said how did you know that over 50 percent of pimps have been molested i was like i didn't i didn't know mm. and the lady came up to me she hugged me and she said that's not you baby that's not you <laughs> and i was like i know <laughs> in my mind but yeah that, that, that was what they saw yeah that's what they saw yeah you know so yeah i guess to answer your question because uh, i belabored my response is it's hard yeah being yeah. vulnerable is hard but yeah. that's where the true growth happens definitely where the growth happened would so so uh one of the things i talked about was that our armor can be very intentional or unintentional so we can like intentionally try to put these walls up and whatnot or sometimes it's a subconscious thing that we do like just as self-defense so what kind of armor do you think in your life and you know i'll, I'll answer this question too but what kind of armor do you think you put on in your life to kind of hide some of those insecurities and vulnerable vulnerability moments and you know maybe it was in the past and you don't do it anymore or maybe it's something that you find yourself still doing today Man, Rob, you trying, trying to go for the juggling. <laughs> I'm trying to go. <laughs> go for it, though. Go for it. Hopefully, you know, somebody's blessed by it. Yeah. So I think if I'm honest, you know, I don't, I'm probably was a little typical as a poet. You know, I started writing about love. Mm-hmm. And I was, I guess my first introductions to love of like the, or the relationship with the opposite sex kind of like through friendship and things and I mean I was elated you know I it was I started off kind of like coming into it through friendship not so much lust I think as I continue to grow the world taught me lust they mm-hmm. told me like you need to be lustful but it kind of kind of started like friendship and so the first time something didn't work out it hurt me so much because you lose this friend Right. And then you go through your mind like, why am I losing this friend? You know, is it me or what's not good about me? You know, why am I not being accepted? And so you walk through all of those emotions and then you start to pick apart your life. I don't have enough money or I don't look good enough or, you know, ADFG. Right. And then if you can if you can go out and fix those things right away, then you just try to fix them and impress the person. But if you can't fix it, what do you do? Mm -hmm. And so you you start you convince yourself you don't feel that way or you you put up the armor of just numbing the pain mm-hmm. so i always told myself i like i have like i hate i hate to use sports as a metaphor all the time i don't hate to it's just it's easy for me mm-hmm. so one thing that i would always say is i was kind of like this person that would get an injury and still just work through it mm-hmm. and be hurting and i i eventually told myself, well, I just have a high threshold for pain. I don't know if it was a high threshold for pain because you feel the pain. It was just ignoring it. Hmm. Ignoring it until it goes away. Yeah, ignoring it till it goes away. 
hopefully it'll go away by itself mm-hmm. or hopefully you'll find a way to compensate that you won't notice it. And so I think I compensated by cutting off how I was feeling. Mm. Then I wouldn't really talk about it too much or I would just work. You know, I would just work on something else. And so my mind would be so engaged that I would work on it. And then I became real analytical and I became really formal in my speaking. And so I don't know if you've met people that you can talk to them, you can ask them a question and they could talk circles around that question. But not answer And you're like, they didn't answer my question, but I'm so tired (laughs) from the response, (laughs) you know, that I'm going to say, okay. (laughs) And I think I I became really good at that at Mm, one point. And then you'll get so good at it, people will be like, ooh, that's deep. (laughs) <laughs> that was deep you're like no it's just mysterious right right <laughs> sometimes people can confuse confusion with deepness <laughs> right they're like this is deep like what's deep about it? i don't know it's just deep i don't know how they did it and so you pile on all of these really communicative or verbal acrobats to not really saying i'm hurt mm-hmm. I'm sad mm-hmm. I, I feel depressed i don't know what to say about my feelings yeah. I still love this person, but they're gone. You know, mm-hmm. it's not straightforward. Yeah. So, it, so it sounds like, you know, over the years you've noticed that your, you know, figurative armor is either one, you ignoring the emotion or the circumstance in hopes that it goes away or two, like just kind of being your words to kind of circle around the elephant in the room or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Is that kind mm-hmm. of what, what you would say? Yeah, yeah, I noticed that, and it's, it's crazy how some of our greatest strengths or talents can also be our weakness mm. and manipulated the wrong way. Yes. Oh, that. Yeah. No, that is so true. That is so true. Oh my gosh. Uh, and I, I think that's there's a lot of people like that who you know try to run from it. You know, I mean, I, I, I would say I've definitely run from run from some things. It's crazy, and I, it's fine. I didn't even think I would I would talk about this here, but. I realized this actually like a week ago. So April 15th was actually the, the uh, one year anniversary anniversary of my uncle passing away. And for me, he was the first person who, who passed away that wasn't of like elderly age. He was only 41 years old. So, I mean, death, regardless of whoever it is, is not easy. But there comes this solace when you're like, oh, yeah, they're 98. They lived a full life and all those kind of things. Like you can you can shed tears, but you can find the happiness in it because you're like, okay, you know, at some point everybody's going to die. Well, my uncle and, you know, that had been my great aunts and my grandmas and grandpas and stuff. And I was sad, but it didn't like hit me. So my uncle, he was the first one that like hit me because it was so abrupt. He had a heart attack, all these kind of things. And I was actually one of three people who were like there and, you know, saw his body and stuff. And it, it really like messed me Mm. up. And I was like bawling when I was there, but my sister had always, she didn't necessarily call me out, but she just brought up like her, her and my brother, like, they're like, yeah, we never saw you cry. Like at his funeral and like all these things and stuff. And even whenever conversations about him would get brought up, other people would cry. I wouldn't. And like, I didn't necessarily engage. I would kind of just be there consoling and stuff. And I realized we had like this memorial, you know, uh, back on the anniversary and i was like oh guys wow like i've been running from this because i did not want to go back to that dark place at the last place that i saw him and that's why i've been avoiding like some of these conversations and stuff and i i had to have some like personal intimate moments like you know just by myself to kind of process through that before i could mm-hmm. have that moment with other people so like i say all that to say like i completely relate to that idea of running away from stuff because sometimes it just seems too big to deal with. Boy, you have. So I'm sitting here and I'm not, I'm not tearing up, but I'm remembering the emotion you can feel. Mm-hmm. So I dealt with a lot of death in my family. Um, and then it was one point in time where it seemed every six months somebody was passing. Mm. And wow. to the point where it, it becomes normative, but it's never normal. Yeah. And so you're talking about your uncle, man. And I'm thinking, I didn't have, I didn't really have the uncle experiences, you know, um, because of certain things that were going on in my family and just, they were my uncle, but they didn't have like that, that mentorship. 
place in my life. I never had that. Mm. So, man, that's tough because I think about my little nephew. Um, but I remember I had an uncle. He was passing. You know, I went to hospice to see him. And I don't sing a lot. And it's not because, like, I got, like, the worst voice. I don't have the best voice. But I don't have the worst voice. <laughs> <laughs> and But it never was something, like, I tried to do. But my uncle sung, and he was known for singing. And so I went to the hospice, and I just remember he was, like, blind because he had cancer, he had HIV. And every, I think everybody kind of walked out the room, and I sung with him because I was like, this is something he does when we sung. And then I remember we had to go do this poetry thing. And I wrote a poem called The Angels Welcome Us. And it was about my uncle. And it was just about those moments. And I just was kind of trying to, like, say, like, the angel, like, he's transitioning. It was really like a poem of transition Mm -hmm. and a poem of faith. Because we were singing a, a spiritual hymn, right? Some of our, like, older, like, older people, they would... Like, no matter what happened in their life, no matter how much they strayed, they still kind of came back and they knew who God was. So we sung a hymn. And so that poem was me doing a hymn. But boy, if I didn't ball on that stage and boy, <laughs> if I wasn't like <laughs> crying, like, and, but I needed that because like you, I didn't, I didn't process in the moment. I always cried alone. And that's one thing I would always say like to God, I was like, man, God, I always cry alone. Like, I don't cry in front of people because I don't I don't know it's not like I'm afraid of you seeing me crying but I, I don't know how I'm gonna react to you seeing me hurt you know right, right. yeah I, I get that that's gonna be too much for me and so I would always kind of like have my moments by myself because I don't know it's just like it didn't seem like other people could handle me mm-hmm. breaking mm-hmm. and so but when you're doing poetry or you're performing people don't seem to get that I mean, they they feel it, but it's like okay, like it doesn't seem to break them down as much, right? Maybe right. they don't know if it's a performance or not. Maybe they like I just he's just performing well, but true. But it's reminding me of that. I'm yeah, sorry. no, you're good. You're good. I'm sorry as well. But I I think whenever people see it as a poem, like this isn't always the case, but it, it can definitely come across as this. Like whenever it's like that that poem captured a specific moment, right? So whenever you're sharing it with people, they see you in that moment, but they don't see that as that, like that, like defining you. So mm. th- I, I feel like they're able to be like, oh, wow, feel you in the moment of you sharing it. And then afterwards, you know, kind of console you, whatever. But it, there's something about you expressing it where it's like, OK, I've kind of overcome this or I'm kind of overcoming it. Like there's this hope behind it because you're still there after whatever that emotion was. And to your point about the whole crying thing in front of people, I think part of me, like that's part of my armor where I, some of my armor is that like, I have things together. Like naturally I'm the person who's like always the encourager or kind of the inspiration or like trying to see things on the bright side and whatnot. And I, I would say that is kind of naturally mean that is kind of a blessing that God has given me to be able to stay positive and help motivate people for sure. But sometimes to your point about, you know, your gift can kind of be a curse too, where sometimes I'm scared or uneasy about being broken in front of people when it's extremely like raw like that, where it's unplanned. And I don't know again, like how they're going to react. And then also like, I don't know the end of that moment. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if I'm going to keep crying. I don't know if I'm going to lose it. Like I, I, I don't know. And I just typically stay away from the unknown. So I think kind of my armor is to have those moments by myself which I, I think people definitely need. But I also think one thing that I could, you know, work on would be like finding those people that I can have those moments with. Because I definitely believe that God's called us to community and that things are just so much better when you have other people to walk with you. But for me, if I can have that moment alone, process, gather it, then I can turn that into a poem. And that's when I'm ready to share with people. And again, I think that's a, a dope thing and, and it really helps me process. But I think there is 
some subconscious armor there where I'm like trying to, you know, hide some of those intimate things that definitely could be shared with that, you know, that close group of people. Cause everybody doesn't need to be all up in your business, but I think God has allowed for there to be certain individuals that are walking, you know, with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, wow. So that definitely went way deeper than I thought it was going to go. But I <laughs> I appreciate you for sharing, Kevin. Um, and I know that you mentioned that you had a poem kind of just talking about, you know, the, the current state of society and all the things going on with this pandemic and stuff. Do you want to kind of talk about what that is and then, and then share that poem with everybody? Sure. So I think right now being slowing down we all are kind of having these moments where we're hearing god speak to us or now we're having to deal with those emotions or those feelings we we've struggled with before and so i know for me i was just thinking about man i'm gonna write a little bit write your poet poetry like man i should be writing i'm sitting down i should be writing and i just wrote something about just kind of like the longing for other people, right? Because there are some people who are really thriving because they're introverted. And they're like, I finally get some time away from y'all. I could be with myself. I am doing good. And then there's some people who really need other people. They thrive. Their energy comes from other people. Um, it almost gives them a reflection of who they are because they see how they react when they're around other people. So I was just writing a poem. I was just trying to just be true to how I was feeling at the moment. Or what I only sometimes just the seed that was planted in me, and I said I was just gonna start with a line, um, and if the and then go from the line, and I wasn't trying to make it be anything. And so I wrote this poem, and the poem says, "Communion, the miracle weary eyes pray for, a kiss of hallelujah, grace in the cheek, humility harvested from a hug, placating the craving of the reclusive voyager." Words renovate his cave of solitude into a grotto of hospitable reflections. And the atonement of your arms has done this. The texture of your smile has refinished his heart. Were you aware the burden birthed from the brush of your hand, a soul ignited by the flame of your presence? Other candles melt in the presence of the sun. Your wit kindles, dancing like moonlight. So jitter apex of his anticipation unabashed at how other petals wilt in his eyes. They litter the path to communion, only to be swept outside the corridor forever. <laughs> That's snapping, yeah, I'm snapping, I'm snapping. <laughs> so I just, to me, I just, when you go through a lot, and I, and I was telling you before how I kind of, at this point was, at some point was, shutting off emotions. I just remember how much I used to like to describe love or describe longing or write about it. Um, I, I think it's everywhere and you see it. As easy as this poem could be about another individual, it could be about God. And mm -hmm. if you cut off your emotions to love, then you're also cutting off your emotions to God too. And part of what you have to deal with rejection and you have to deal with pain and you have to deal with disappointment and you have to deal with forgiveness if you're going to experience love. I mean, Christ dealt, it, dealt with it with us. And so in this moment, when I was writing this poem, I was just like, allow your heart to be what your heart is, right? Don't try to cut it off. Don't try to protect yourself. Allow God to protect you in the moment. And so that's kind of where I was when I was writing the poem. And I was just like, let me just write about it. Yeah. You said, a, okay. You said a plethora of dope things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to like shift through it in my mind to see like what I want to ask about. Uh, real quick. I, 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 I appreciate your, your, your thought through that and, and that expression. And I love what you just mentioned, how it's like, if you cut off love, then you're cutting off God right and that's because like god is love and that's a part of who he is and then also you have to experience rejection to know love uh that's crazy there um joseph solomon he has this line in one of his poems 
he says, what poem is it? I think it's On a Scale. Oh, okay. Have you heard it? Oh, yeah, I've heard it. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I think it's On a Scale, and he says something where he's like, "I, I don't, you know, appreciate this the fullness of a heartbeat or you don't appreciate the fullness of a heartbeat until you've escaped flat lines and you don't appreciate the fragrance of a rose or something unless you've gone through the thorns to pick it now i, I said it mm-hmm. of, of course like less elegantly than he said in the poem but that's the idea <laughs> right right <laughs> and so uh so yeah check it out it's on youtube on a scale joseph solomon but uh, i think like that is like so true but like it's so hard because it's like uh who wants rejection but everybody right. wants love mm. mm-hmm. uh also can you clarify at the beginning of your poem you're talking about you who who's the you in, intended to be oh so that could be just um so in this one i think i was initially i thought about okay this is a person who is speaking to maybe a bride mm-hmm. or someone that they're longing for and they love. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about really how they long for them. And so they, you is probably that person, okay. the other person that they love. And you, you're kind of telling them, it's almost like, don't be ashamed of how I've longed for you, or don't mm-hmm. be ashamed of what I've gone through to be with you. All of this was necessary. Mm-hmm. And I think at the end of the poem, it talks about, um, your wick kindles dancing like moonlight, but other candles melt in the presence of the sun. So it's mm-hmm. just a comparison of there are other people, but they're not like you. Yeah. Say that, say that line one more time. So it's the line where it says other candles melt in the presence of the sun. Your wick, your wick kindles dancing like moonlight. So while other people mm. are melting in the presence of really that, that person is the sun. So these other lights, they're lights too. There's nothing wrong with them, but they're melting in comparison to you. And if you were if you were a candle, your wick will be getting growing. Like you would be dancing. Your flame would still be a flame. Like you wouldn't be melting and going away. And so then that's where that's where I say, um, so jitter apex of his anticipation. So like dancing that, be happy about that. Cause you're the apex of his anticipation. Like these other people are not who he's anticipating being with. You are who he is anticipating being with. And then it says unabashed at how others petals wealth in his eyes. So don't be ashamed that other, if like if somebody was a rose, like their petals are wilting cause eventually they will fade away. They mm-hmm. won't keep his attention. You will always keep his attention. Mm-hmm. And then I say they litter, like those petals litter the path to communion. So those wilting petals, they had to wilt because that's a, his path is to commune with you. So if you're thinking like a wedding, his path is to commune with you. So they're going to wilt and they're going to litter. They're, so you think about like the wedding and people, the flower girl throwing the petals, like their petals are gonna, just going to decorate this path to you. Yeah. And they will be swept outside of forever. So because you're his forever right yeah. so their petals are eventually going to be swept outside they're just decoration but they're going to be swept swept outside and so that's just like this longing to like this marriage thing and you know that's kind of that's what that is got you and uh and i, I like that you're, you're talking about that I, i'm my takeaway from that is almost like this concept of you know walking in your purpose or like embracing your destiny or who you are which I definitely want to pin because I, you know, that gets to you know one of the other things I want to talk about. But quick question: Whenever you're saying he, is he still supposed to be like who that person is is with, or is he like God or something? So that's what I was saying. It depends on how the person sees it. Ah, but gotcha. the person can be God. If, in my opinion, any love poem written well is going to reflect God in mm-hmm. the church. Mm-hmm. So he could be like this earthly reflection of a man and woman. He could be Christ in the church. And he's wooing the church unto himself. Just like the man is wooing the woman unto himself. Or you can get what you got from it. Like, oh, this is his purpose. 
purpose. And so he's anticipating his purpose. He's longing after his purpose. Because, you know, people get different things from poems. It depends mm-hmm. on, you know, sometimes how the spirit is speaking to you or what you're going through in life, how you really hear it. Right. For sure. For sure. Dope. Uh, yeah, thanks for sharing that poem, Kevin. Um, did you did you want to elaborate on any other portion of it? Or do you think we kind of, you said everything you wanted to say? Uh, Just the, probably like the first, first line. Mm-hmm. Um, just communion, the miracle, weary eyes pray for. So, I mean, this kind of hit me right now. I think I've been having so many conversations with people about marriage or anticipating marriage, young adults, right? You're seeing, every day you're seeing a gif about it or you're seeing some video about what's going on with the, with the men, what's going on with the women, you know? And so in that line, it's like communion, like this person's anticipating communion. And his eyes are weary, so that means there's some type of it's tired, but it's a miracle from God, right? What God brings together, let no man bring asunder, and he's praying for it. And just so people, because I remember it was this whole thing about people being thirsty at one point, and it was just like bashing people for wanting to even be with somebody or anticipating wanting to be with somebody. It was like, you are so ungodly. <laughs> Christ alone, you know what I'm saying? Why do you want to be with somebody else? And just to understand that the person is praying and they anticipate this and that's okay. Like that's part of who we are. So to me, that line is very vulnerable because it's letting the person know like, hey, and, and being a guy writing that, you know, so guys are probably not always going to say, man, I'm, you know, I pray, pray to God all the time about my wife or I pray about this particular situation. I really care about this person. Or just like you said, man, I think I still love her. Like you're not really going to hear that from guys. Right, because you don't want to be that vulnerable. Um, but it's, I think it's okay to be honest and truthful with where you're at or what you're anticipating, and of course to take that to God in prayer, because you don't have to have any walls up. No one's gonna manipulate your wall, manipulate your your vulnerabilities. Like God is not gonna manipulate those. If that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. Definitely does. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I was about to be like, oh, does anybody else have any other questions for Kevin's phone? <laughs> but it's definitely just us right now. <laughs> um, yeah, the dope. Um, so I, I do want to uh, shift gears a little bit. And, you know, this, this whole time, you know, we've been talking about poetry and you know what it means to us and how it you know it's good for the world it, it's good for us um but i also want to recognize you know as great as poetry is there are some people out there who you know po- like poetry isn't their talent or um it's it's not how they express themselves and i still want to encourage you know those people to say that it's it's fine if it's not poetry for you like find what right. it is for you and i and i think that's kind of what uh this next poem i want to talk about rooftop symphony really gets at um again it you know if you can you can check it out on youtube uh rooftop symphony take eight of weekly words and in this poem the speaker is going through he's sitting on his rooftop and he's he's thinking about all the people around him that he sees being happy and full of joy and they're you know grooving to their own tune dancing singing all these things but what he highlights are these individuals that are playing these instruments and he notices that these instruments are uniquely made for those individuals like only their breath can make the instrument make a sound only their hands can grasp the instrument it was it was uniquely designed for them and he starts to feel envious because he's like well yo where's my instrument he starts to think over his life and he's like yeah, you know, I'm, I'm playing an instrument. I'm in the band. I'm in the orchestra or whatever, but my, I'm following my conductor, which is fine. Follow who you're under, who's, who's the leader over you. But he realizes that his conductor is success and it's success that is defined by society, which, you know, could be, you got to have a certain type of job, a certain income, a certain social status, a certain type of clothes, a, a certain relationship, a certain, uh, a, family a certain whatever right like Mm -hmm. what society says success is and he finds himself being confined to that even though he knows he needs to walk on a different path but midway to the poem he realizes like yo i don't have to follow 
society's definition of success. Like that doesn't have to be my, my conductor. I can be my own conductor. And he realizes that whenever he walks towards his purpose, his fulfillment, his dreams, his goals, his vision that's been given to him by God, he then can walk in purpose and fulfillment. And success is a subset of that. But now he has fulfillment. Now he has joy. Now he has happiness. And he goes further. And because of that, he's able to impact the people around him and inspire and encourage them to walk in their purpose and in their fulfillment and then find their instrument. So I think it's so important, like as we're sitting here talking about poetry, to mention how, for example, in this poem, it can be this inspirational story of somebody else's discovery that we can read, relate to, and then apply to our lives. And also, I like this poem because it communicates that each person's instrument is different. So even for us, it's similar where it's our words and it's poetry and the way we express it. But for other people, it can be dancing. It can be singing. It can be drawing. It can be mentoring other people. It can be building things, houses, machines, engineering. It can be a plethora of things. But the, the I think the t- ultimate takeaway is find what it is for you and embrace that. Right. Embrace what that is. Um, but I, I just really love the the concept of Rootop Symphony where, you know, we're able to kind of see what it is for this person and then ultimately try to apply it to our lives. I agree. That's, that's, that's an amazing concept. I don't know if you battled with this, you know, since we're being all vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you, you battled with this, but I remember the first time. I remember I started off kind of when I was a young person, loving art, loving drawing, loving everything creative. Um, but I also would have what people would call like, oh man, you need to be realistic. You know, look where you're coming from and the struggles. And, you know, so I was like, man, you know, I don't want to be a broke artist, right? <laughs> right. And then, so then you kind of look at what, you look like there must be something wrong with my passion, right? There must be something wrong with what I love. And then you look at, and then with the whole, oh man, you, you're going to be a, a poet or you're going to be an artist. You, you must be want to be a rapper or a singer or something. Right. And then you get those negative connotations. Cause then they say, oh, African-American people just want to be rappers, just want to <laughs> yeah. be athletes. Yeah. Um, as if something is wrong with that particular job, that's not, there's nothing wrong with that particular job. There may be some subsets of the approach and, viewpoints and everything that you might have to look at but innately there's nothing wrong with you know that person's passion and so I remember going to college and I took a test and it said I'm just kind of being transparent I took a test and it said oh you're interested in art you're interested in acting you're interested in A, B, C, D, and E and I remember looking at that test and it didn't take two seconds and I was like nope (laughs) I gotta get a job I right. got, I'm not going to be a starving artist. I got I a family to feed. Got a family to got feed. A family to feed <laughs> right? And it's funny because some way in life, I still ended up coming back to that creative part. Mm-hmm. So much to the point where I remember my first year of law school, I was like, man, I'm in law school. Man, I don't know. I don't know about this. You're dealing with all the intrepidation that comes with that in professional school. And I just recorded a poem for the law school probably about a month ago. Oh, wow. I'm thinking, I'm in school. I'm in law school doing poetry. This doesn't eat. This didn't even match up in my mind. Right. I didn't see this coming. Or I went to a law firm and did poetry. Like, I'm like, I'm in law school and people are saying, don't you do poetry? (laughs) You know, I'm like, Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we're supposed to read these cases, and you're excited that I do poetry. Like it's almost like y'all are more excited that I do poetry than I am mm-hmm. in certain instances. And so that just takes me to Ephesians ten, two and ten, and just thinking like we are, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so God has something for us to do, and God forbid that we die home. We die what somebody said this world is supposed to have. 
I think God redeems us. I think if we go down the wrong path, God can redeem that and we can give him glory just like First Corinthians 10 and 31 says. Like anything, you know, basically anything you do, give give glory to God. I think he can redeem that. He's that powerful. But I also think when people have passions, we should immediately turn to God and say, okay, God, I have this passion. I love this. What am I supposed to do with this? Instead of saying, oh, let me see what society is saying. Oh, this is not in STEM. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let me throw this away. God may give you some wisdom to have a job and still pursue your passion, but it doesn't mean that you have to throw it away. Like we always think you have to choose A or B. Like either you're, you're going, you're doing A or you're doing B. When a lot of times that's not how life even happens. Yes, I completely agree. Like it's, it's not black and white. And right. so it's, it's funny. So I think my journey into kind of be here isn't too different from most people. You know, it, it's definitely been a discovery along the way, and I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do with my life. And, I, you know, I'm still trying to iron out what that looks like exactly. But it's funny when I look back, because as a, as a child, I had a love, genuine love for mathematics, and I still do. I So much so, I wanted to be a math teacher. Mm-hmm. And then people, I was really good at math and science, so people, of course, you know, put the ear, engineering butt in my ear, and... I really like that. So I, that's what I ended up studying and majoring in. And, you know, that's what I'm working in now. But it's so funny because along the way, I've like, I've been a tutor since like at least high school, a peer tutor. And then now, you know, mm-hmm. I, I tutor, you know, students on the side and I, I tutored throughout, throughout college. I was even an assistant track coach for a, 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 like an AAU track team, you know, in Pennsylvania and whatnot. Like, cause I, I still have that natural desire and yearning to like teach and mentor all the way now to where at work, I'm actually leading a new hire initiative to improve our training process and make sure that our new hires have the tools they need to be productive at their jobs. So it's just so interesting to me how like I, from a kid, from my childhood, I've had this desire to teach. And while I'm not doing the traditional teaching in a classroom, teaching and mentoring has naturally been with me throughout most of my life. And to your point, I think people always think like, okay, I got to be an artist or I got to be a professional or I got to be a dad or I got to be a whatever. But it's like, no, there's space for you to be multiple things in your life. It just might not look how it traditionally traditionally looks, or it just might not look how you thought it would look, right? And I think that's just right. like so powerful to realize. And then even like on the poetry side, <laughs> this is so, this always gets me too. Growing up, I loved, loved, loved the poetry sections in English class that we did every year. Mm-hmm. But I legit sucked at writing, and I'm not being humble. Like I like growing up, I legit sucked at trying to write a poem. It was not working. <laughs> It wasn't until my senior year where I started to go through more like life things where I was a, I, I needed to express myself. And that came out in, in a poem. And then in college, it just kind of grew with just different opportunities and more experiences and stuff. And so even that is so funny to me where it's like I had that desire as a child, but I didn't have the experience or the maturity to do anything with it. And then looking now where, you know, it's not my main thing in terms of income. But I've been able to have some success in it and perform, you know, at different venues and publish my first book and, you know, do different things and inspire some other people like it's still a part of my life. And right, right. I, I just think so many times um, somebody at church or pastor at church, he, all, he always says, use your dream as a direction, not a destination. That's good. And I love that because if we get caught up seeing that it's a destination being like, oh, I got to. I got to be this big time artist and get this Grammy or I got to, you know, sing with this group or I got to, you know, get this award and do all these different things. We're going to be selling ourselves shorts if short if we don't reach that. But if it's a direction, we're opening ourselves up to so many different opportunities for what that purpose or dream or fulfillment will look like. And that goes so much further than any specific destination. You feel me? I feel you. <laughs> yeah. Ah, that's so good. Um, so it's funny. I, I always like doing these podcasts because I always have like one intention of how I think it's going to go. And then we end up going a completely different route with just the conversation and stuff. So I appreciate you again for coming on here and just like <laughs> helping like it just naturally flow and whatnot. Like that, right, that's right. just so cool. 
Uh, did you did you have anything else that you wanted to touch on in terms of any of the poems that we've talked about and like the concept of poetry and you know being vulnerable and and um, finding your purpose and you know what that looks like and stuff? Yeah, I mean, just listening to you know the conversation going back and forth. I think one of the things I would just want to impart or leave with people, right, um, is just to find out who God has genuinely made you, right? The stuff that makes makes you kind of get up in the morning, the genuineness of it. And I really like what you said about your pastor, right? It's a direction, not a destination. Because sometimes I think God has purposes for us that get hijacked by the world's standards of what it should look like. And we end up polluting something that was very pure. And then we find our whole life we fight for that. Mm. And then somehow at the end we get back and we say, man, you know, it just never was like it was when I was just singing for the gospel choir. It just never was like it was when I was mentoring the youth or anything, right? Because mm-hmm. the world gives us what success is, and that's not success. There might just be a path to make some money, a path for a lot of people to know you. But it really, man, it almost just kind of takes me back to when Christ was on the mountain and Satan was tempting him with, you know, the lust of the eye, the lust of lust of the flesh and the foolish part of life. And he was manipulating the scriptures and he was basically trying to offer Christ stuff he already had. Right. And that's what I kind of think about. Like sometimes in life, I don't know if you've been here, you find yourself, you're like, man, I was chasing this, chasing that. And then I realized I already had it. Yep. Like I realized I left joy <laughs> and happiness to try to go find joy and happiness. Like, yep. what is that? And so what we really might have been wanting to say is, God, please give me the wisdom to be able to provide while while serving you. Lord, please show me how to be a good steward of what you're giving me to serve you. You know, those type of prayers of stewardship and growth and wisdom versus I know I'm going to I know I have um, I'm doing well because I've made a million dollars and I'm not against money, but it's a tool. But if you start saying that that is success you kind of taint your soul mm-hmm. a little bit with something that God is not necessary, didn't necessarily say was success. And then you make, I don't know, man, I just, I just think about a lot now that I've gotten older and I, you know, you, you can't go back and you just move forward. But man, the things that give us joy and passion and love is not anything we can buy. It's not anything anybody can like on Instagram. It's not anything that you can really market and sell. And so you have to be able to look at what you're doing and say, man, I know this is successful because of the way I approached it. I know that God is going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, whether it's a million people that approve of it or it's two. Because if God told me to reach two people and I don't reach those two people, then I reached a million other people. I'm still what, like 999,998 people short of what I was supposed to do, even though people think that I've done what I was supposed to do. And so it's just reframing that to say, man, I'm gonna start with I'm gonna start with what needs to be done. Like I'm gonna start with the priorities. And then if I get to the other stuff, I get to the other stuff. Like if God has made me a mentor or a teacher or a writer or this, this and that, I'm gonna do all that. And then if I get to a million, I get to a million dollars. But if I don't get to a million dollars, I am not substituting purpose for for just profit. So Amen. that's what I would just like encourage people. Because, man, I think it would take a lot of burden off of us. And it would allow us to really walk with God and have faith and trust him, which a lot of times we have, you know, it's tough to, you know, so much is happening. You know, the economy, this, this and this, man, this is time to really dig into having faith in God versus frantically running away from him in fear yeah so that's just what i would say yeah <laughs> true like I, I i definitely agree and I, I feel like you kind of put a bow tie on everything for today <laughs> like i don't think anything <laughs> else needs to be said after that uh well again you know kevin i appreciate you being here today and you know sharing with me and and you know being vulnerable and whatnot and i'm excited for everybody to be able to just you know hear this and you know grow closer together and go closer with God and whatnot. Uh, before we go, um, I wanted to give you the opportunity to let people know, you know, how or if they can still purchase your book, your spoken word album, or even follow you on social media. 
Oh, great. Yes. So you can follow me pretty much everywhere at Kevin Burns Jr. So it's just Kevin, K-E-V-I-N as in Nancy Burns, B-U-R, N as in Nancy, S as in Snake, J-R. That's Instagram. That's Facebook. That's Twitter. I was able to get my name before everybody got it. Nice. Hope I'm not dating myself. <laughs> and then uh, you can also go to. I have a website. Uh, www. I hope that was three W's. Mm-hmm. Kevin Burns, Jr.com. You can go there and get information. The book is on sale on Amazon and different places. It's called Heart. Who goes there? Kind of a play on words um, with Shakespeare's uh, thing. And then you can go find the the album is on uh, everything it's like amazon google play itunes it's um who um i'm sorry i just said it but uh, when words me sounds it has like a little kind of like a naturist album cover looking thing but that's me you know and just dm me or hit me up if you have any questions but i like that project too because it allowed me to tell a story all the way through and i'm working on more stuff and i'll get more stuff out um just so we can have some of those relics for the future, right? So, for sure, for sure. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, and guys, be for sh- be sure to follow him on social media. Go to his website and also support uh, his art, the book, and the album as well. And just like always, feel free to connect with me on social media at slightly poetic. That is S L E I G H T L Y P O E T I C. Um, and check out the web series Weekly Words on YouTube and IGTV. I want to thank you guys again for coming today and listening to the Weekly Words Extended Podcast, where we give you words to live by. I'm your host, Robert Timmons, and that's all we got. So, Kevin, let's say bye to the people. Peace. See you guys. (laughs) Yep. Thank you.